Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years. He's my kid's dentist too, and he's a national speaker on Invisalign using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. My son Owen just finished a round of Invisalign treatments, and we love the results. So does Owen. Amarillo is lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise around here. So follow Shimon Dental on Facebook to learn more, or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo National Bank, where I've banked since like 1991. Amarillo National, A-N-B.com. Today's guest is Karen Talley. Karen just retired after a long career with Christian Relief Fund, which is a nonprofit relief organization that's based here in Amarillo, but does work all over the world. From this home base, the organization works in more than 20 countries around the world, from the Dominican Republic to Zimbabwe. It provides child sponsorship, disaster relief, water projects, and a lot more. And it was founded by Karen's father, Baxter Lowe, right here in Amarillo during the 1970s. Well, Karen was the last member of the family who was still working for this organization her dad built. And so she tells her story. She tells the story of of how he built the organization. She shares about her family legacy in this interview. So here's Karen Talley. Karen Talley, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, sure. I'm I'm really glad to have you. I know that you are um, just a few days into your retirement. And so I'm really grateful that you chose to give up some (laughs) of that time to, to spend it here with me. This would be really the first thing I've done. I haven't really done much. Just okay, been laying well, around. That's that's <laughs> then you're doing retirement right, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, well, again, thank you for that. So I know that there's a lot of different directions that we we could take this episode. Um, but I want to start like I do with most of my guests and ask you how you and your family ended up here in the Amarillo area in the first place. Okay. My dad started out working in the oil fields, or he, he worked for Amarada Petroleum Company in West Texas, and I was born in Hobbs, but then we then we moved back to Texas, and then we went to uh, East Texas where he transferred there, and we absolutely, as kids, we loved it because it was out in the country, and we had a two-room schoolhouse, and we had a little store across the street, and we just, we, just, we thought we were in heaven, but Dad was very, very unhappy and uh, we didn't know it, but he was had a really bad boss that was really giving him fits. And so at that time, Dad uh, became suicidal, which we didn't know about until mm. later on in life. But in that time, he felt a calling to preach. And so uh, he wound up quitting there and uh, going into preaching. He was self-taught. With that, because he just worked in like oil and petroleum, right? Up until that right. point, he I did guess. that, yeah. And he was in the office, okay, uh, working. Uh, so he did. My dad did a lot of reading, a lot of studying, usually at night when we were all asleep. 
But we moved to Brownwood, Texas, which was the first place that he uh, got a church. And it was uh, Brady Avenue Church of Christ, just a okay. little little church. And we went from having a lot, a, a good income, to having very little income. But anyway, that's a different story. Yeah, you, you don't go into preaching to to get rich, uh, No, you I don't. Guess. No, you don't. And so we stayed there for about four years, I, I guess, four or five, and then... He moved to moved us to Odessa, Texas, and uh, was preacher at Washington Avenue uh, Church of Christ there. I finished high school there in Odessa, and my only claim to fame is that I went to school with uh, Steve and Rudy Gatlin of the Gatlin Brothers. Oh, okay, and uh, I sang in a group with Rudy, the youngest, for a couple of years there. After I graduated, my plans were to come to Amarillo because there was a Bible training work at, uh, that's what they called it, at uh, West Amarillo Church of Christ. And it had been established for several years. And they what they did was they taught Bible lessons at night for those who wanted to learn more about the Bible and who wanted to preach. or um, And then Friday nights, was uh, they taught singing and stuff. But anyway... It was a good place to meet guys, you know, if you mm-hmm. were going to get married or something. And so my brother was up here attending, and that was my plan, was to come to Amarillo and to attend that. And so I guess my dad couldn't stand the thought of me coming up here without them coming. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a, a church here that was called Forest Hill Church of Christ. They were needing a minister, and Dad applied for that, and they hired him. And uh, it was about a 75 people. It wasn't a very big church. It was about the size of the other churches that you'd Yeah, about the size of them. And so we all moved up here in, in 1969, the summer of 1969. And uh, Dad was, uh, I met my husband. I, I knew him before we came up here. But he was he went to the church where we were, okay. and that's where we Started dating and and met and married and we celebrated our fiftieth wedding anniversary last summer. Wow! Okay, congratulations. And thank you. And so, uh, Dad was preaching, and he also had a uh, he was editor of a gospel magazine called Gospel Tidings, and this magazine went to virtually places all churches all over the world, but especially in India, they they got his name. From that in India, the yeah. Christians over there, and the first time he went to India was to uh, they asked him to come because they couldn't bury their dead. The Christians couldn't bury their dead; they had to be buried above ground. They wouldn't give them land to do that. So Dad made a trip over there. He didn't want to. I mean, he didn't have the money. He said, "I can't go. I can't do this." And uh, but anyway, he felt the calling that he needed to go, so he. Asked people to help him go, and he went, and he was able to get that established for them so they could have land at this particular place. I'm not even sure it was in Hyderabad, but I'm not sure the exact place. And so they they felt like they needed his help mm-hmm. as a Christian minister from the United States to right. kind of facilitate their ability to have land and bury and all that stuff. Right, and he had to meet with several officials and hmm. things on that. Then after that, uh, it was just a little while uh, that uh, we were associated with a church, little church in Lockney, Texas, and uh, they were sending ministers over to preach the gospel and to 
teach men to preach the gospel. And so uh, Dad agreed to go and do that. And uh, he did that for, I don't know how many times, a couple of times. And uh, my dad hated flying. Hmm. He hated to fly. He's scared to death of it. But he would go, and um, lots of times he didn't want to go. And my mother said, well, if you don't go, who will? And so uh, he went, and uh, at one of these sessions, he would be there for like two or three months. And when my dad was a, he had a little belly, but by the time he'd come back, he would be very skinny, mm-hmm. you know. And he would, he bought his clothes at uh, shoes and stuff at Goodwill. He was a very, he was shopped at Goodwill quite a bit, and he would take his clothes over and leave them, you know, for them when he uh, and when he came back. Anyway, that's just a side note. But uh, he met a little man at one of these sessions that had come quite a ways on train to come to this training. And he had been he had been a Hindu, and he was converted to Christianity. His name was John Abraham. And Dad met him, and uh, I, he remembered him. And he asked my dad, you know, for if he could help him get support because he he had to give up his government job. So Dad didn't, you know, think a whole lot about it. He came back to the states, and he thought, you know, it just kind of was out of his mind. He didn't. He he thought, what can I do? You know, I can. I'm barely, you know, making a living for my family. And then he, Dad would have to take odd jobs to to uh, support us. But anyway, uh, he later on he got a uh, telegram from one of the ministers in India that John Abraham had died due to starvation. Wow. And uh, that brought my dad's heart. And so he knew that John Abraham had four or five children. I think it's four. So he started asking for funds, raising funds for these kids. Because uh, you have to pay to go to school in India. You don't go free. And from that, when he started asking for funds, one a little little lady at, at church uh, gave two dollars, and then of course he got more funds. But actually, it started with that two dollars. Wow. And so uh, from that, there were pleas that would come. You know, can you please help us uh, with kids here in India? Uh, there was a lady that was single, and she had taken twenty children into her home that were orphans. Was trying to feed them and couldn't. She didn't have any more funds, and so she was ready to commit suicide. And so somehow she got a hold of my dad, and dad started raising funds for that, asking people, will you support a child? You know, will you pay? And it was, I think it started at $20 a month, would help feed them and send them to school. So from that, they, it's, it just began, and then uh, the Lord just kept expanding it. Uh, there We have like 11 homes there now. They're not real big homes, but they're like, you know, 30 to 35 kids okay. per home. And the money that uh, is sent for child support, which is uh, supporting children is a big part of CRF. That's where it started, uh, Is uh, goes for education, spiritual training, uh, physical training, just, you know, things that they need. Um, not all of the, not all of our programs are homes. A lot, most of our programs, the kids live in their own homes okay. or live in a home of a guardian. 
But anyway, it expanded there. That's where it started, was in India. And that was in the 1970s, I guess? Early 1970s. Okay. And we're celebrating our 50th year this year. Were you an adult at that point? Was that when you were... I was in college, or I was uh, I was married. Okay, uh, so I was about twenty one. Did like did you have a sense, you know, knowing your dad, knowing how that need was growing and how people kept reaching out to him? Did you have a sense that it might become bigger than just this thing he was doing on the side, you know, trying to support these families? I honestly didn't. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine how how it could grow. So much. I mean, it went from two dollar a two dollar donation to last year we took in ten million over ten million. Wow. And this, it just, I to me it's just a it's just a God thing. Uh, Dad was willing to be used and be a servant, and he had a heart for people. And uh, God took that and used it, and still is using it. Was there a point? When he transitioned from seeing his role as a pastor to an organization leader, I mean, do yes. you remember that? Yes, he uh, he quit being a minister. He, he quit his job doing that and just did uh, John. It, what it, back then it was called the John Abraham Memorial Christian Relief Fund. Okay, John Abraham. That's, that's a long John. name. But. And. Um, so yeah, he went to doing that full time. He would travel to uh, since he was the people that he knew and and loved and everything were in the churches of Christ. That's where he went first mm-hmm. because they knew him, and so he started raising funds all the time. And he also raised separate funds for his support. He didn't take okay. uh, a salary from CRF. The board members shortened the name to CRF. Oh, probably twenty twenty five years ago. From there, it went to Honduras. We had a plea from Honduras to help with a feeding program there, and then it started into a child sponsorships programs. And there's like probably, we probably have three or four programs there. Uh, then it went to the Dominican Republic. And what I began to see, at, as I was working in it, then I could see mm-hmm. that this is going to be something more than you know what I originally thought it would be. Uh, and and lots of times we would have people requesting to help at a place that we didn't help at, mm-hmm. but then suddenly a week or so later we get a plea from that place saying, can you help us? Like in Cuba, we helped in Cuba for a while. They were asking, can you help people? Can we help people in Cuba through you? And we thought, well, we don't have a source there, you know. Then and then usually we work through the churches in those places. I'd like to give listeners, you know, you you mentioned the the ten thousand or ten million dollar uh, in in donations that you brought in last year, but to give them a sense of like how it has grown. And so, um, what can you tell me in terms of like how many countries or how many thousands of children? I mean, give give me a scope of what the organization does right now. Okay, at, at this time we're in a little over twenty countries, around twenty countries. Okay. Uh, that a lot of it, our support go, is in Kenya, in Africa. We have Haiti, we have Zimbabwe, we have Uganda, Liberia. We have some in Ukraine. Okay. We have several in like Nicaragua, Honduras. Uh, we have some in Texas, in the tip of Texas, Mexico. 
just, you know, all over the world. We have like 20 countries, and we're helping right now. I think we have about 7,000 kids. At what point did it become clear that that you wanted to take a, a role within the organization? Actually, I was just kind of pushed in. <laughs> you know how God kind of just he keeps pushing. You say, okay, let's do this. And uh, when I went to work, my I, I would help my dad when it first very first started. He would ask me, well, can you come and do some letters for me, mm-hmm. write some letters, or can you send some receipts? Because he didn't have anybody helping him at that time. And so I'd come in and help an afternoon, you know, here and there. Then my mother started helping part-time uh, with it, and he got an office out in a little strip mall out in uh, on River Road. And he had a uh, High Plains Children's Home donated an address-a-graph to him. And I don't know if you know what that is. I've heard of it. I've it's never used It's a huge, one. heavy machine, and you have to type metal plates mm-hmm. to slip in these sleeves that you put in this thing and run the envelopes through. So dad hired me that summer part-time to work and paid me out of his own pocket, I'm sure, uh, to type 2,000 of those. He had a 2,000 list of address of of donors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I spent all summer typing those, just clunk, clunk, clunk. And after that, he wanted me to stay on uh, part-time. And so that's when my second son went into school, and uh, I didn't have any kids until after he'd get out of kindergarten. So, uh, so I worked part time, and then we needed more income. So I started working full time. I had to, you know, I did everything as far as write. We hand we would handwrite our receipts, which was a pain. And I would assign children and send them out, put them in glass frames. Mm-hmm. Package those up. He wanted okay, them in a frame. To sponsors who, yes, okay. He wanted them in a frame. I'd send those out and uh, just you know stuff like that. What official role or title did you recently retire from? Well, I was director for uh, over a s- certain programs. I was over uh, Haiti and uh, Liberia, Uganda, India, Zimbabwe. Nigeria, and, and those countries would have three or four programs okay. there. Some of them would. Uh, and so if someone uh, wanted to sponsor a child from that program, then I was I was child sponsor coordinator okay. for that. And I'm, I'm curious about, you know, the growth of the organization because, as I understand it, the model is pretty similar to, like, some larger organizations. Like, people may have heard of Compassion International right. or – a world, world vision, vision, you know, mm-hmm. that, that have hundreds of thousands uh, of right. children that they sponsor. And, right. and yours has continued, um, you know, not nearly as big as those, but much no. bigger than like, <laughs> you know, an individual church helping a family in mm-hmm. India. It's kind of in a, a, a middle ground. And I mm-hmm. wonder, like, was there ever a thought of, you know, should we take this and, and like hand it over to these bigger organizations who maybe can you know, can give it a little more oomph, or do we just keep this kind of homegrown family thing here in Amarillo and, and keep doing the best that we can as, you know, as, as Amarillo people are giving and, and as people right. are supporting us? Well, uh, I don't think they would hand it over, but uh, they, I think they have, of course, I'm not part of the board, but the board, I think, has talked about, you know, trying to do what we can to increase and help more kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, 
implementing a new uh, program, uh, computer program, that is hopefully going to shorten a lot of steps. Okay. And will make it easier uh, and quicker to uh, assign children and reassign children and, you know, replace children that leave and stuff. Once they so graduate they, out of the program, mm-hmm. I guess. So they're always looking for ways to grow. They are. They, they, they're looking for ways to do that. And uh, we've just been, you know, kind of just steadying along. But we realize in order to help more kids, we're going to have to, they're going to have to do something else, you know. Uh, we did combine with another organization in uh, uh, Bread for a Hungry World. They asked okay. us if they could join with us, um, but uh, not all of our not all of our funds just go for child sponsorship. We're into water wells, okay. really big right now. They've supplied uh, water for over like three hundred thousand people, clean water, whereas. Uh, they would have to walk miles to get dirty water, which would make them sick. Primarily in Africa, I guess. Primarily in Africa and in Haiti. Okay. Mm-hmm. But most of the uh, wells have been dug in in uh, Africa. I just thinking about your your dad and you know his mm-hmm. path to Amarillo, your family's path to Amarillo. There was a lot of you know moving from one church to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of settled here, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. Did the family remain here when when you planted yourselves in the seventies? Like, was that ever a, a decision that you guys talked about? Like, well, I guess we're staying here for a long time, or did it just happen no, organically? It just happened. Um, the the church the church where Dad was preaching, they had a house that they let them use, and then when he uh, retired from that, they they gave them the house, hmm. so they just stayed here. Uh, I married a guy from here, uh, and my brother married someone from here, and then I had another brother that left for a while and uh, came back. To, he's in Canyon. So most of it, and my sister was here. She's in Austin now. So um, basically we were all here for, you know, the beginning of it. How and, much of the, I, I guess, the Amarillo culture or the generosity that you find in people here how significant is that to the organization itself having been started here still existing here i mean is is amarillo a big part of who it is amarillo is a big part of it but it it wasn't at first uh but there because we have started having missionary trips where they'll you know they'll go the people from different churches will go that has helped to increase the amount of people here that give. Uh, there's several churches that are big sponsors. Uh, um, Redeemer Church is really involved in it. Washington Avenue Christian Church is very involved. Uh, Central Church of Christ is really involved. And they sponsor a lot of children, and they send people mostly to Africa. Mm-hmm. Some go to to Haiti. But uh, right now there's no traveling, you know, right, as, right. as you know that. But um, that has really increased the interest of people here, uh, or the you know the mission trips, getting to go and see the work, and even some of them have been able to visit their child and see where they live. Yeah, and, and I, I can imagine that's incredibly meaningful. To oh yeah, take that connection beyond letters, you yes. know, and some money that's passing, and yes. be able to actually meet yes. a kid and a family. But we have sponsors all over the world. Hmm. Uh, before I left, we had a man from Scotland 
that started sponsoring children. Uh, we have them in Australia, um, England, Japan. Is is there a reason? Do you think that people like that, like obvious, it's obvious why there are churches in Amarillo that are connected with your organization. But like, why would a guy in Scotland or somebody in in Australia say, "Okay, this is this is the organization I want to choose"? Is is there something about what you do that's that's different from like you know some some other similar organizations? Well. We are uh, <clears throat> member uh, charity navigators. Mm-hmm. We're members of that. Uh, they we have a four star rating, which is the highest you can have, and we've had that for ten years. And, and that's so, a company we should say that evaluates the effectiveness, I guess, of every dollar right, given to an organization. Right, how much of it actually right. goes toward whatever the stated purpose is? How mm-hmm. much goes towards salaries and all those? And things. we try to keep that. Uh, very low the amount that has to be used for administration mm-hmm. and salaries and stuff like that. We try to keep that very – my dad always did. That was very important to him was to keep that really low. And uh, so what the Lord has blessed us. We've been able to do that. I You mentioned traveling. Um, I, I wonder how many times like you've actually gone overseas to visit families or – Places like I haven't that. got to go very much. Okay. I got to go to Haiti, which was quite an eye-opener. I went back in 2016, and um, then I, I traveled in Honduras several years ago when it, when it first started. I'm always interested in how travel outside this area, whether it's going someplace else in the United States or going overseas, how it impacts how you think about home, about Amarillo. Have you ever thought along those lines and allowed it to form your opinion back here? Just makes me very grateful to live in the United States and and to live in Amarillo. We have it so easy. Life is so easy for us here. Even though we have a lot of struggles and stuff, it's nothing compared to what those people have to deal with. The they don't have anything. You know, they have they live in a little shack, maybe with a dirt floor. Most of them don't have uh, indoor bathrooms. They have out in the backyard, mm-hmm. you know, where they go. Uh, they don't even have roofs that leak when it rains. And, it, and, you know, especially in Haiti, it rains a lot. And we take, you know, we have food to eat daily. They have to struggle every day to get what they're going to eat. They, they have to think about it. They have to plan uh, lots of times they just might get one meal a day, whereas we get three meals a day, you know. Uh, it's It just makes you very grateful for where you live and where you come from. One of the conversations that comes up pretty frequently uh, on my podcast is people talking about the generosity of Amarillo. Um, whether you're thinking of it from an institutional standpoint like churches or whether you're, you're thinking about it from an individual standpoint, but is is that something that that you have seen, you know, just in your work, is that Amarillo people are very willing to give, even if it's giving to somebody they've never met, you know, yes. who lives in Honduras or India? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, they're very generous. We even have, you know, lots of volunteers that come and help, give their time uh, to CRF to, to help out, send out letters and pictures and stuff, but they're very generous with their time and with their money and... Uh, done such a marvelous work uh, of helping these people, especially in Africa. The, it's 
you can see you can see the change in the kids. Uh, before I quit, I was my job was to change over pictures and ID numbers to the new place, and uh, I got to see their pictures, you know, of each child. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I had to go back to an older picture to get a good picture, but they were happy and they were smiling. Most of them were smiling, and uh, they just looked totally different. Uh, they some of the kids were getting to even swim in a swimming pool. I saw some pictures of them in Africa. They, I guess, they got to have an outing or something. They were it's from a children's home there, and they were. I thought these kids are getting to do what normal kids. In America, get to do all the time. They're getting to experience that, but they're so happy to be in school. They love school, and they get to eat at school, mm-hmm. which is a big, important thing. Uh, the people in Amarillo have been a part of that in helping, uh, you know, to to realize dreams for kids in so many countries, but particularly right now in Africa. Lots of dreams are coming true for these kids. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by my friends at the WT Enterprise Center, which this summer celebrates its 20th year of helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. The support, encouragement, and expertise they offer is invaluable to this community. Whether you're launching a new business or trying to take an existing business to the next level, the experts at the Enterprise Center can coach you through every step of that process. One particular success story and graduate of their programs is Altura Engineering and Design. In fact, I interviewed David Solis, one of the founders of Altura, way back in episode three of this podcast. That was October 16th, 2017. That's a long time ago. If you haven't listened to that one, though, definitely go look it up. You can learn more about the Enterprise Center at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Karen Talley. Karen, this is the part of the show called Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes boots and shoes from at least eight decades of women's fashion, uh, which is always... I've been up in their their stacks, you know, just the the back end of stuff where you can't see all the artifacts and seeing all the shoes mm-hmm. and like how small some of those women's <laughs> shoes were um, it is fascinating to me. So uh, you can learn more about that at panhandleplains.org. Okay, eight straight. Karen, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want. Okay. Um, the, the first thing is one that I've been asking guests over the past few months. It's what's one thing... 2020 revealed to you about local people? It revealed to me that Amarillo, during a crisis, pulls together Mm -hmm. and that we are strong. We're strong people. We help other people who need help. It showed to me that that our health community, the people that are workers or medical people are just... uh, they're so dedicated and so inspiring, and I'm just so proud of Amarillo for our COVID vaccination that they uh, orchestrated. We are set up like a model for other places in the country. Yeah, really. Happy. And uh, it's just I, my sister came from Austin down here to get her shot. Really? 
just yes. because it was well, she easier here. Yeah, it's easier. And I'm, I think she's going to have to come back for her second one because she's having a hard time in Austin trying to get one. I can imagine that being part of a relief organization where you have children going to school and um, in children's homes and stuff like like COVID had a really strong impact on that. I mean, a lot of it countries, did. churches have not been able to meet. Mm-hmm. Schools have been shut down. Right. And I think in Kenya, the schools are still shut down. Uh, a lot of them... Schools have opened, uh, but during that time when they were closed, they had they didn't the kids at home didn't have food. So our workers uh, they worked very hard trying to make sure go with it, go to the homes and make sure they had food. And they had to be extremely careful too because uh, they had to follow the rules of their country. Mm-hmm. You know, if they got caught doing something they weren't supposed to do, they get thrown in jail. So uh, they, it was a very difficult time for them, but our sponsors stayed with it mm-hmm. and, and kept sending support so that they could get their food and everything. But um, Especially knowing a lot of the caregivers or the parents you know, in a lot of those countries, they don't have jobs where they can just no. go to remote learning. No. You know, they're day traders or they're yeah, they had to be on casual streets. laborers. Yeah, and that just, and that for a while, stopped. they were shut down. Yeah, that stopped totally. For a while, hmm. so it was very difficult. Hey, I, I can imagine. Um, what does this area have too much of? I think we have too much crime. Okay, that really bothers me. I think we have uh, too much wind, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can't do anything about that. What amount of the crime is because people are just so frustrated by the wind? I want. Yeah, <laughs> I've always wanted to to talk to uh, APD or something and see if they can see an uptick in. Crime, and like crime. when the weather's really bad, mm-hmm. the wind just makes people so angry. They, they well, it out. is very, it is very aggravating or agitating. You know, what does this area not have enough of? I don't think we have enough places for the homeless to stay. Hmm. Even though we have some really, uh, you know, great organizations, uh, but it seems like there's a lot of homeless people out on the corners these days. Every corner you go to, there's one. Yeah, I, I think the panhandling has increased in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's, that. I don't know a reason behind that, if it's a lack of opportunities, you know, for people, or mm-hmm. if it's becoming more culturally mm-hmm. acceptable. People mm-hmm. are giving out money when they're at right. the stoplight, and right. it works, you know. Right, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I think people's hearts were more tender during that time uh, as to giving out money and stuff. So I don't know. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I tell them that uh, Amarillo is full of generous people and that it's a great place to uh, raise your kids. And if you don't like the weather, you can stay around a while and it'll change. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're too agitated by the wind, yeah. at least it'll stop at some point. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Uh, I had to think about that quite a while. Um, I think 6th Street. Okay. I, I really enjoy going to 6th Street, and I haven't got to eat at all the places, but uh, there's one that we ate at the other day that's called the Eatery. Yeah. And I had their uh, Monte Cristo that was on a donut. Okay. And that was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. All right. Well, you're retired. <laughs> you should treat yourself with donut-based sandwiches yeah, I can't for sure. Do, I can't do that very often. But And then I love the antiques and okay. the junk stores. I love junk stores. What's your favorite local restaurant? 
Well, yeah, is it the eatery on six? Or well, yeah, it different? could be. Yes, it could be. We don't eat out a lot, but we we my husband and I love Scott's Oyster Bar. Okay, yeah. Because we love he loves the fried oysters and I love the fried shrimp and it's just kind of a fun atmosphere. It's not very big. And you can visit with the people they are just right there next to I love to that you. about Scott's is that <laughs> it has been there in that location, you know, for 30 years. Yes. And just, it hasn't it's grown. still thriving. Still about the same, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of successful restaurants, you know, get, get bigger and bigger and then they move. And Scott's uh-huh. is still just the same thing right there. Yeah, so. and it's locally owned. Locally like owned, that. yeah. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Well, I don't drink coffee, but uh, when my niece came to town and my granddaughter i would t- i took them to the palace okay and they loved it there and i liked their hot tea so okay. i would say the palace all right and when was the last time you visited paladura canyon it's been about four or five years ago when my daughter came her and her hus- husband and family came to town uh we went out there and did hiking okay. went to some hiking and they love to go out there uh and it's been probably that long since we went to Texas to see Texas. We love Texas. And I know that, that Texas was shut down last mm-hmm. summer, but it's coming back this year. Is it? So, Good. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited about it to to see those crowds continue. Yes. It's such a big part yes. of the culture here. Yes. Okay, Karen, that concludes the eight straight questions. I, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, uh, of course, I want to them to know about CRF. Mm-hmm. I would, I would love. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't even know we exist here in Amarillo and have been here for 50 years. But um, I would love for them to know about that and to check us out. You know, on the internet under ChristianReliefFund.org. And then I'd like for them to know that you know we had we do have some great uh, nonprofit organizations here, like the Women's Center that does a great work with uh, women that are, are struggling, that perhaps had been on drugs and mm-hmm. uh, or been in jail. And uh, they do a great work, and they have a store, a uh, thrift store, that you can take your goods to, and they sell it you know, for money for them. Uh, and then also there's the, the men's shelter. Uh, it's called Second Chance yeah. House. Second Chance House. Yeah, we we support them. We uh, they do a great job, I think, with the with the men here in Amarillo. Okay, Karen Talley, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I thank you, Jason. It. I appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Karen for the interview. If you want to learn more about Christian Relief Fund, visit ChristianReliefFund.org. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. Thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Eight Straight every episode. And also thanks to Shimon Dental and the Enterprise Center for sponsoring the show. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarello. Heyamarello's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Jess Heredia. This has been episode 196. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.